Have you ever wondered about data consulting? Well, in this episode, you're going to learn a lot more about it. And before you tune out, data consulting is basically a way that you can impact businesses with your data analysis power. If you're new to data analytics, it is a potential career path for you. And if you're experienced in data analytics, you could work for a consultant or even did what Leon did in this episode or what I've done in the past and start your own data analytics consultancy company. So if that sounds interesting, let's stay tuned and hear today's episode. Welcome to the Data Career Podcast, the podcast that helps aspiring data professionals land their next data job. Here's your host, Avery Smith. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, before we get into the show... I want to just say thank you to all of you listeners because we are now the number one data podcast on Spotify. That's right. In the last little bit, we finally overtook Data Camp's podcast, Data Framed, and became the number one rated podcast for data analysis, data stuff on all of Spotify. So congratulations and thank you guys for being part of this journey. We now have 217 reviews at an average of 4.9 stars. So thank you guys for leaving a rating for the show. That being said, we still are behind them on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts right now, please go leave a rating and review. It helps the show grow. If you guys remember, the show is no longer free. It costs one rating or one review. Even if you give us one star, I don't care. I just appreciate you guys listening and being able to give us some feedback as the podcast creators. So thank you guys for doing that. I also have a second piece of important and exciting news, and that is I have a new program available. It's actually very cool. I'm very excited about it. It's called the Data Analyst Interview Simulator. I know I have such long titles and names that are so hard to say, but we just call it the Interview Simulator. And what this is going to do is it's like half practice, half a course on how to ace, how to crush the data analytics interview. For all of you guys who are in that stage where you're getting to the interviews now, this is a really good tool that when you get those interviews, you'll be ready to crush them, absolutely crush them. And if you're not quite to that stage where you're landing interviews yet, this is still a really good resource for you to prepare for when that opportunity comes because I guarantee you that opportunity will come and you will want to be prepared when those opportunities come because it's hard. It's hard work to get interviews. And so you want to make sure when you get these interviews, you're ready for them. So what the interview simulator basically does is ask you face-to-face with video questions you can expect in the video process, in the interview process. And we do it with via video. So it's really realistic where I'm asking you a question via video, you're answering a question via video. And then we actually have some AI feedback that we're tying into all of our questions right now, which is really cool. Like it's absolutely cool to get feedback. It takes about two or three minutes 
to, to run that feedback, but you'll get an email and basically it'll explain what you did well, what you didn't do well, and what you can improve on for these different interview questions. Not only does it have these different video interview questions, but it has tips on how to answer interviews using the star method. I'll dive into my method that kind of builds off of star to have kick butt answers to your interview questions. We also have 75 mock interview questions. I'll teach you how to use ChatGPT to help you do mock interviews. I'll teach you how to uh, use your peers. We'll actually have it like a system inside the program where you can interview your peers and do mock interviews with one another. There's a mock interview generator that will like come up with a bunch of questions for you to ask your peers. There are so many cool things in this program and it's just growing. I actually have a discount for it as well on the website right now just for launch. So if you guys go to datacareerdrumpster.com slash interview, that's datacareerdrumpster.com slash interview, or you can check the show links down below and we'll have a link to it as well. You can get that for a really big steal right now. I'm really excited about that to offer that. That deal will be going away sooner rather than later. So uh, this is a good chance to snatch it up at the lower price. Check it out. You can go to the website and I actually have a practice problem there for you, for you guys to test it out and see uh, what this is all about. But I hope you guys check it out and let's get into today's episode. You guys, my guest today is Leon Gordon. He's the founder of Onyx Data. He's a Microsoft MVP, a top writing voice on LinkedIn. And he's a thought leader. He does things for Forbes. He does things for the AI Journal, for the Global AI Hub. So overall, he's a great resource for the data community, especially in, in the business space. Leon, welcome to the program. Absolute pleasure, Avery. Thank you very much for having me. Um, very excited to be here finally. Yeah, I know. We've been talking for a while, so I'm glad to have you on here. And I'm glad to uh, be getting to know you a little bit better. You have a very interesting background. So for the audience that doesn't know you, you do, and I mean, you do a lot of things, but in my mind, maybe this is oversimplifying it, you do two main things. And that is one, you're the founder of Onyx Data, uh, which is basically a data and AI consulting company, uh, which is pretty fun. And then you have data DNA, which is something that your company does on the side, which probably a lot of our audience might be familiar with because you guys host uh, monthly data analytics competitions. Is that fair to say? Definitely. Definitely. Okay, cool. So those are the two different things that you do. We're going to talk about those two different things today. We're going to talk a little bit about consulting and we're going to talk a little bit about these analytics competitions that you've done the past couple, I don't know, how long have you been doing the competitions for? No, it must be two and a half years or so at the moment. Good question. I should really know the date for anniversary, shouldn't I, moving forward? But I would hazard a guess two and a half years now. Okay. Wow. That's that's awesome. Okay. And how long have you been doing consulting for? Oh, great question. So I've been involved in the analytics and AI space for over a decade now. In terms of Onyx Data, Onyx Data was founded by myself back in uh, February 2019, so just over four and a half years ago now. Okay, awesome. And for the people listening who don't know much about data consulting, in a couple sentences, can you explain what data consulting is? Oh, absolutely. So this is us partnering with organizations to enable them to adopt data analytic and AI technologies for their businesses, generally to add business value or to support from a resource perspective and upskill their internal teams. Okay. So I heard a couple of things there, implementing data products. So you're like getting them up and started with different data tools. Is that kind of what you meant by that? 
Yeah, to a, to a certain extent. So obviously, as you're aware, Avery, and as the audience are going to be aware as well, that we're quite fortunate there's been a plethora of releases over the last few years. Now, with that type of release cycle, companies tend or businesses tend not to be as quick to adopt. And so when they are adopting newer technologies, potentially their internal workforces aren't skilled enough to be able to deliver those to productionized uh, ready solutions. So that's where we step in, really bridging that gap moving forward with technologies, but then retrospectively upskilling and building out centers of excellence as well within the organizations. Okay. So basically when a a new company comes out with some new updates, you guys are helping those companies kind of implement those updates as quickly as possible. And I think that makes sense because when I think back to my time, when I worked at ExxonMobil, we were working with the data tool. And to be honest, by the time it was released, we probably wouldn't implement it fully like a year to two years later, probably fully, because it was just a big, massive project to do all the work, to implement all the new things. We had to make sure it was still working the way we thought it would. There wasn't any bugs. So that is quite a big process to do that. What was the other part of the consulting that you mentioned? Did you mention like upskilling or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So we also upskill. So like I say, this is kind of bridging the gap for teams to adopt new technologies, really build out um, that center of excellence, that knowledge in-house for organizations. And the other side uh, of the coin that I mentioned is what we call resource augmentation. So this is adding consulting members to existing teams to enable them to be able to take on more workload and scale that will, so to speak. Oh, interesting. So you have like consultants that work for your company. I'm, I'm looking at your LinkedIn here. It looks like, how big is your company? In terms of direct employees? Yeah, or contractors too, I guess. Okay, so direct employees, we have around about eight, eight or so now. From a contractor, we are consultants. We tend to adopt the what we call in the UK, the associate model. So this is contractors and we can scale to 200 consultants fairly rapidly. Oh, interesting. So you might take some of these consultants and have them be like part of a company's data team for a little bit in helping them complete projects or, or something like that. Absolutely. Okay. Very cool. What are some of the type of projects that you guys work on? We're very fortunate. So we tend to work on newer and emerging technologies. So for example, we currently have a Microsoft Fabric prototyping a pilot project in flight currently, which is great. Obviously, I'm sure some of the audience are aware that Microsoft Fabric was announced in public preview. I believe it was a build earlier on this year, and it's being piloted by many organizations uh, out there. And we're lucky to be enabling organizations to start to build out uh, analytics and AI solutions on these technologies. Outside of that, really machine learning models, deployments that look at how we can uh, identify customer churn, cancellation within insurance, these type of elements, sales leads is another example that we've done uh, very recently as well. And outside of that, we also take on what we would call your general data engineering, both cloud focused and on-premise. And I can't leave Power BI out. We do a lot of Power BI consulting as well. Okay. Interesting. So for the audience who hasn't heard of Microsoft Fabric, explain what that is and how it's used. What I will say is it brings a lot of Azure data platform capabilities into the Power BI ecosystem as a SaaS platform. So what I mean by this is a cloud-based solution that enables you to engineer your data, model your data, build out data warehouses, data lake houses, augment real-time streaming data, and also build your Power BI reports in a singular cloud-based platform. Okay, interesting. So it's it's basically more Azure functionality is available, more easily accessible, it sounds like. 
Absolutely. Very much UI driven. I wouldn't call it uh, no code, but very much UI driven development. Okay, cool. A lot of people listening to this podcast are, are more entry level and you guys probably haven't dipped your toes into the cloud platforms necessarily, or maybe you've dipped your toes in, but you haven't gotten your whole ankle covered, but all of just FYI, all of the cloud platforms are hard. <laughs> They're very difficult to manage, at least all the ones I've used. So that's basically I've used Azure before. We've done a lot of AWS. We've done a lot of Google cloud platform. And honestly, like personally, and don't take this wrongly on, I know you're a Microsoft guy. I think all of them, like, I don't think Microsoft's any easier than AWS, which is any easier than, than Google cloud. They're all like equally confusing and kind of like just terrible UI. So I don't know if you agree with that or not. It's probably best I say no comment. What I will say is that I think this is where Fabric really steps in. So this, like I say, this is very UI driven. So it's it's a bit dissimilar to Azure. Azure is still there in the background, which you mentioned potentially users do find hard to navigate and interact with. But I would kind of present Fabric as a very similar interface to Power BI and how you use Power BI in the service at the moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Well, I do like Power BI's interface, so that's good. This is a side topic, but I have an AWS account and I have a Google Cloud Platform account and I have some different apps running on that. And like my AWS billing each month is like $50 and I have no idea like what's even running on there right now. And I'm like, ah, it's too much work to go figure it out. So anyways, these cloud platforms, that's what you have to look forward to as you kind of evolve in your career. I want to go back to some of the case studies or some of the thing projects that you guys have worked on at Onyx. Sure. You mentioned customer churn. So I didn't really know what that word churn meant when I first heard it. So just quickly, if you think about churn, like you're churning butter, like you're, you're moving around in a circle, right? For those of you watching video, you guys get to watch me shake my hips and move my hands. But that's like, basically you have a customer. For example, I pay for a car wash every month. It's like, I don't know, 30 bucks a month to be able to get unlimited car washes at the car wash near me. And me churning would basically be being like, ah, I'm going to cancel my plan. Or, or Netflix, you're canceling your subscription to Netflix. So that's kind of what a churn, customer churn is. And so you're looking at like, basically, can we predict when a customer might churn? Is that one of the, the projects you guys are working uh, abs on? Absolutely, absolutely. So like you mentioned, with customer churn, what happens is it's a loss of revenue. So the Netflix is a great example of this. I'm guessing it's the same worldwide, but happy to be corrected on this, that Netflix started to change who can access 
certain accounts. Um, yep, I'm blocked out of my parents now, so I don't watch Netflix anymore. <laughs> which led to a lot of customers canceling, which obviously less led to uh, a lot of lost revenue, which led to uh, Netflix also upping their prices. Now, what we enable organizations to do by using customer churn is to be able to predict when a customer is going to churn, what the profile of that customer is. And obviously, if you can get ahead of the curve and try to incentivize them to stay, then you can continue to generate that type of revenue. And you can spend more time looking at, at customers as well that, that fit the profile of, of the organization. Okay. So, I mean, obviously you can't go in super in depth here, but some of the, I'm going to say, we're, we're basically predicting the likelihood of churn or maybe when someone's going to churn. So that's kind of our Y variable. That's our target. That's what we're trying to predict. Some of the X's or the inputs that we might be using for that, I would imagine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or add something I'm missing, would be like how long they've been a customer. Obviously, if they've been, well, I guess if they've been a customer a long time, maybe they're not likely to churn. Maybe there's like a certain like four month mark where they're likely to churn. Probably user activity. So for example, if I'm not using the car wash, you know, every month, then probably I'm more likely to churn than if I'm using it every day. Those are two of the main X variables I was thinking of. Can you maybe share on some, in general, what are some other X variables or, or data that you might be able to use to predict those types of things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, age, the gender play a part of this as well, tend to factor in locality as well. And then when we start to look at localities as well, we can start to enhance the data set. Now, a big proponent for, for using third-party data to enhance existing data sets or data models as well. And you can start to look at things like affluence as well. So what's the average income for the area, so to speak? Because all of this factors in and plays a part. And you can even look at some even more wider-fetched external data sets. So when COVID, for example, was very widespread, I remember using some of the available COVID data sets for hospitalization to be able to play into certain factors for some of the models we were building as well. Okay, awesome. Okay, so that's one example of something, that, a project that you guys would work on. That was kind of in like the more, I guess that's like kind of in the revenue realm of things. I think you also mentioned sales. So is it mostly business problems that you guys are help solving or do you guys also get into like manufacturing and different industries? Uh, we're pretty industry agnostic. And what I mean by that is we're not typically pigeonholed into, into like pharmaceutical, retail, etc. For some reason, we have found ourselves fairly widely spread in the automotive industry, which I'm, I'm not going to complain about because I'm a big uh, fan of, of, of cars. But we, we tend to do a lot of work in the automotive industry as well. I mean, for us, some of our other projects, which aren't as advanced, for example, but still play into a lot of business value, are these Power BI solutions, particularly from a finance perspective. Now, it would be great if the audience would let us know by raising their hand how many are still using spreadsheets to work out financial calculations, macros, VBA, etc. Now, with that being the case, what we can do, there's a lot of room for automation in these type of solutions and then bring in new visualizations using tools like Power BI as opposed to Excel for those solutions. So we tend to make, in these type of engagements, we tend to make organizations more efficient, data more accurate, and management reports more readily available um, as well. Okay. That's really interesting. So what, what you basically said is you're going to some of these organizations, you know, automotive organizations are like more in the manufacturing space. And so typically, I mean, this is me being judgmental, but typically they're not as tech savvy as for instance, like a tech company, right? So they probably do have a lot of Excel going on. So you guys go in there and kind of modernize some of their analytics solutions, taking them from Excel and putting them in a more mo modern platform, which makes it easier to maintain, easier to use something like Power BI. Is that right? 
Yeah, definitely. We get to tick a few boxes there as well, right? So we're moving from, and I won't say that Excel's an antiquated technology. I don't think it is, especially with all of the the releases that are coming to the forefront at the moment, but it's not always used in the right way, so to speak. So what we do is we take organizations on a journey that enables them to be using um, analytics tools in the right way and then being able to use Excel for very strong points like self-service analytics, et cetera. Okay. When, when you said all of the features coming to Excel, what features are coming to Excel? So I think the biggest one, and I, I'm only discussing features that are already available, obviously, yes. the, the Python being enabled in Excel as well. Okay. So this is something I don't think we've talked about on the podcast yet, but if you haven't heard, Python is coming to Excel or is it here? I don't know if it's here. I think it is here for some versions of Excel. I, I haven't used it yet. I don't know if you've had a chance to use it. I haven't. So like I say, generally in where we work, I wouldn't be using Excel alongside Python. It would generally be done in something like Fabric, Power BI, et cetera. But what this does for those for Excel users is open up a plethora of opportunity. Python's obviously becoming and is already one of the most used languages in data analysis, exploration, cleansing, cleaning, et cetera. So making this available in a tool like Excel is a, is a, is a bit of a game changer for existing users. Yes, it, it'll be interesting. I'm going to say it right now. I'm not a believer. I haven't tested it yet. If I have tested it, then I'll I, no longer about belief. It's about knowledge. I haven't tested it yet, but I just don't think it's going to work well. I'm like the biggest Python guy of all time. My favorite data tool by far, the one I've used the most in my career, Python. I just have a hard time wrapping my head around how the heck this is going to work in, in Excel. I will say like, I mean, I think the syntax is better than VBA. So if it just like replaces, if you guys don't know what VBA is, Visual Basic for Applications, it's kind of like an Excel programming language that has existed for many years. And its syntax is no good at all. So if it can replace VBA, I understand. But I have a hard time seeing how it might be used now. That, I mean, let's just say like it, it does work. I think I'm sure that Microsoft is working on some ways to roll out some of the generative AI that has come out into Excel. I know there's a lot of like Excel plugins or Google Sheets plugins right now that you can purchase that will help you use AI in your Excel sheets. And so I think those could be game changers down the road. And maybe those with the Python could be really impactful because Python does have a steep learning curve. Like if you look at your average Excel user, I mean, they're great, right? They're using Excel for analytics, but it's not like they know Python and learning Python's hard. So I think maybe we're, I could see it really succeeding is like when they don't necessarily have to write the code as much and the code could just be written for them using generative AI, I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. And I don't think it's any strongly kept secret that Microsoft are rolling generative AI out into Windows, the Office suite, et cetera. So whilst I probably can't go on record and say anything specific, I think it's widely available knowledge that especially the open AI side of things will be available across the Microsoft suite of tools in some way, shape or form. I think you might be interested when you do get to use Python and Excel. For me, what we tend to find with a lot of Excel users is that they're pigeonholed, right? So they're held down by this whole IT structure where they can't go and get, for example, Power BI, or they can't go and get new tools like Tableau and another visualization tool or cleansing tool. They have to use what's readily available to them in the Microsoft suite, right? And like you mentioned, the large majority of data professionals, enthusiasts, users across the globe will use Excel in some way, shape or format as their tool. So this is more about enabling as opposed to becoming the solution to the end-to-end -end analytics, I think. Okay. That was a good comment. That's why you're here. That's why you're the expert. That's, that's a really good point because what Leon's saying is super true. 
when I worked at ExxonMobil, it was a pain in the butt to download anything on your computer. Like, first off, there's like this whole like software. You, you can't just download stuff from online. That's a big no-no. You have to download stuff from like their internal app store, basically. And even downloading the stuff from the internal app store, a lot of this stuff required like permissions and passwords that would take maybe even a month to get. And then once you get it, the installation wouldn't work or something like that. So yeah, even downloading Python at Exxon was very difficult to do. And everyone on my team used Python and it was hard to get Python. So if you could potentially just like sneak Python in the back door and have it already installed in Excel, you are potentially giving those people easy access to something that maybe wasn't as easily accessed as it was in the past. So I can agree. Yeah, and I think that this is probably where Microsoft's looking to land at the moment is opening up data for, for everyone. So everybody has a seat at the table, which is why I think this is really the shift. It's probably the same from a Microsoft Fabric perspective as it is across the board. So data engineering in Azure, like you've mentioned, has been difficult, costly, specialized, similar to data science, right? And all of these different personas have to sit at different areas and not be able to easily access the same data. It becomes quite pigeonholed and quite siloed. And then similarly, like you say, somebody always wants to report in Excel, regardless how good it looks, how much data has been modeled, it's always wanted back in Excel. So I think that's really the goal here is trying to open that arena up to everybody to come and have a seat and enjoy the same feast, so to speak. All right. I'm, I'm a believer now. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Power BI because it's some of the tools you mentioned that you use. Now, when I teach people about how to land their first data job, I teach them something about the SBN method, which means you need to learn skills, you need to build a portfolio, and then you need to grow your network. And specifically in skills, one of my principles is you shouldn't learn every skill. Instead, you should, you should focus on three skills in particular, and that's usually enough to help land your first data job. The three skills are Excel, SQL, and Tableau. And I often get, get asked, what about Power BI? So personally, I teach Tableau because I think because it's actually easier to get on your computer and it has a stronger community in my opinion. And those are the only two reasons I teach Tableau over Power BI, but give me your best pitch for why someone should learn Power BI when they're getting started. Okay. The, the, what I'll do is I'll try and condense this into a singular sentence and I will say that for every Windows user who has Office installed on their system globally, they now have Power BI installed on their system. So it's accessibility right there, huh? That's the easiest entry level hurdle to overcome. I've got a plethora of reasons to obviously that go off in very different um, areas in terms of cleansing data, modeling data, visualizing data, and it, it becomes fairly robust in terms of why I think Power BI is a good solution in certain scenarios. Um, but I would say because mass adoption, similar to Excel, right? Excel existed everywhere because it was readily available. There was not really any competitors, at least not until recently. I know you mentioned Google Sheets, which has done a good job, but that's because Google already has a fair amount of market share now. And I think it will be similar to Power BI from an accessibility perspective. After that, it then goes down to the amount of, um, of financial backing and that's being spent on research and development, monthly updates. And for those, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the Gartner um, Magic Quadrant or not, uh, but... Power BI has been a leader there for, for, for a long, long period of time now as well. Okay. I can see that. So what Leon's saying is something I experienced when I was at ExxonMobil. At ExxonMobil, obviously Power BI and Tableau are, they're, they're supposed to generate money. They're products, right? Tableau in this case is kind of its own company. I guess it's part of Salesforce now, so it's not even its own company. And Power BI is its own product inside of the Microsoft suite. 
it costs money to use either of them in real life for business purposes. Usually at large corporations, they have some sort of a license that would allow them for multiple users to be using the tool, multiple seats, basically. Tableau's really expensive, turns out. So it's quite expensive to have a lot of people on Tableau. And so for instance, at ExxonMobil, we had X of thousand licenses. I don't remember, but it was really hard to get one of those licenses. Like basically you kind of had to like hope someone got like, they didn't need their license anymore or someone got fired or someone like got let go or something like that. And you could like sneak in and grab their license. But we at Exxon had a Microsoft deal for everything, right? We had Excel and all that stuff on our computers. And so there was really no limits to the Power BI seats. So by default, a lot of us had to use Power BI, even if we preferred Tableau, just because it was way easier to use because it's tied into the Microsoft ecosystem. So I think I see that's a good point that like or Power BI might be more accessible than Tableau. But for the life of the world here, why is it so hard to use Power BI on a Mac? Because basically right off the bat, if you're just looking at people who are look, career changers, they're not at work right now, they want to learn a BI tool at home, like half of them in the US have a Mac and it's a pain in the butt to use Power BI on a Mac. I'm probably going to sit on the other side of the fence now to your Tableau Power BI conversation with a Mac Windows conversation as well. So I'm, I'm a big proponent for, a, well, I am now a previous Apple user a long time ago now, but we've gone back to Windows from that perspective. But I do feel your pain, understand and empathize as well. Now, the good news is, is that what we're finding is that Microsoft is spending a lot of time and a lot of development on the cloud-based solution to Power BI Fabrics probably being a good example of that, whereby Mac OS users uh, are being enabled from a cloud-based perspective to come and use these tools in the web, in the browser, so to speak. Will there be a version to, to download and, and install? I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's fine. And you're right. So you can use like a browser version of Power BI on a Mac now. So you don't have to download it. You can use it there. But then my last complaint, sorry, I know you're not the Power BI complaint department. My last complaint is it's just hard for, for normal people to get access to free Power BI because in order to like host anything, you have to have like a business email and not everyone has a business email. Anyways, it's just difficult sometimes. So that's why I choose to teach, teach people Tableau is just like difficulty as a user at home. But I actually prefer the Power BI interface. I think Power BI is a lot more intuitive for like clicking and dragging and dropping than Tableau is in, in terms of that. Like I think in Tableau, I'm always guessing where to drag stuff to make the different charts I want to make. And, and in Power BI, you start with the, okay, I want to make this chart. How do I fill in the blanks from there? So I do prefer Power BI in terms of making the charts. I think that's more intuitive. Excellent. We got you to say it, Avery, but no, in all, in all seriousness, what I will say is obviously I don't work for Microsoft. I'm a big Microsoft fan from a data analytics perspective, but these are just tools, right? We can do pretty much the same thing with all the tools that are available. There's different uh, recommendations, caveats, and some are better than others, are, are, are other pieces, but underneath it's all tools that we have to use to then paint a picture, enable our data to be ready, and then tell the story back to the organization. So I would just bear that in mind. They're all different ways to cut the same uh, at the same meal you're right you're right 100 they're just tools you could not even use power bi or tableau or excel and just like take pieces of paper and do the exact same thing that that we do in power bi like you could it's not as efficient but you definitely could get the same story across that that's a good point okay i want to talk about data dna a little bit this is basically a monthly analytics competition that onyx data helps host where you give users uh, a use case and basically users submit some sort of, of solution to the use case. 
could you just explain it a little bit better than I did? I probably didn't do a good job. Yeah, of course. So we are a, a data DNA. We're a community of over 10,000 global uh, members who every month come together on a freely available data set to then visualize this and present this back in any data visualization tool of your choice. And by doing so, you win the opportunity to win over $2,000 uh, worth of, um, of prizes every every month. Okay, awesome. And do you guys specify how the solution has to be or is it pretty open-ended? No, nope, very open-ended. So we have very beginner-friendly data sets. So our data set generally always is a single table. The data can be enhanced with external data if the user wants to. And we have different topics for the underlying data set as well. So sometimes we have themed topics like Spotify, Disney, etc. And sometimes we have very business-driven topics like HR data, for instance, last month car insurance data uh, as well. Okay, very interesting. And I want to talk about these submissions that you get for this competition. I want to talk about the, the biggest mistakes you see people make when they're submitting. And then we'll go into the biggest strengths or the biggest wins that people have. What are some mistakes that people make when they're submitting their data analytics projects? Absolutely. So the first mistake is in actually how to submit their, pro their project and solution. So we have a very certain criteria in that you can only submit by posting your actual visual directly on LinkedIn. And so, and completing a form and a couple of other caveats for that. So the biggest mistake um, that I see is people not following the correct way to participate, which obviously means that their entry is voided for that reason. So we have had great entries in my opinion, not make it just because we haven't followed the criteria, unfortunately. I just want Sorry. to say one thing with that is like, obviously Leon's saying that they have a specific criteria for submitting, one of which is posting it on LinkedIn, it sounds like. You guys, if you do a data project and you do not post it on LinkedIn, you did not do a data project. Like, even though that is what Leon's requiring you to do, if you do not have it posted somewhere on your LinkedIn, you're missing out on a huge opportunity. Like. That's basically like saying you cured cancer, but you didn't tell anyone outside of this room. It's like, okay, we don't care. Like it doesn't actually impact the world, doesn't impact you. You actually did nothing unless you tell people about it. So make sure you tell people about your data projects. Sorry, keep going. No, absolutely. And just on that note as well, Avery, I will circle back around to your SBN theory. And that's actually how I entered into the industry by using a very similar technique. So totally agree. If the data projects you are working on, make sure that you share them out there. And the data DNA challenge is, is exactly the same as that. Now, outside of that, really, it comes down to what I would define as, as really the finishing touches to your visualizations. So making sure that your charts are, are ordered correctly, sorted by the right axes that you want to be able to display your data in the right way, ensuring that your fonts uniform across the whole visualization piece, making sure that your visualization isn't too cluttered so good use of, of white space and making sure as well that again naming conventions are very uniform across the visualization and then really telling the story as well it's not just about putting revenue by product and revenue by month i don't know average by year onto a visualization page and saying okay we're done here what does that tell the end user who's looking at the chart one of the ways that i like to look at data visualizations is what I call at a glance. So can I look out of the corner of my eye and be able to tell things are good, things are bad, and then glance back, but then be able to go into more detail if I want to do that. And that's the way that I try to kind of cite as should be the entry level. What If I look at this for five seconds, what does it tell me? And then if I want to look at it for another hour, what can it then tell me um, as well? 
Okay. When people when people submit this, are they submitting just a link to a dashboard? Are they submitting a PowerPoint that they've created? Are they submitting some sort of an article they've written or a video they've done? So our challenge is on a static image of your um, chosen visualization only. Okay. So that has to be like basically a, well, I guess I was going to say a screenshot of a dashboard, but it could just be a standalone visualization as well. Just like one. It can be. So it generally is an export. So we get what we call infographic type visualizations. Mm. We get very much report um, visualizations. Uh, we get combinations of both and people that actually go down that data storytelling route in a, in a, in a singular visualization. So, uh, and this is what I think is the great thing about the data DNA community. And like I say, for us, it's a nonprofit. We incentivize, um, people trying to get into data to come and learn, contribute for, with us. And what I find is that, I mean, think of the context of this, of this competition, right? So everybody has the same data set. So every month, hundreds of people are downloading the same data set and then using a plethora of different tools to visualize the same data set. Now, if you imagine that you're doing this on your own at home as a project, okay, you're going to, you're going to have one version of it. You might look around for some ideas and then incorporate that into your visualization as well. Now, if you have hundreds of people that have a different creative mind, different way of looking at the data, all coming together on the same data set and presenting their visuals of it, it's going to expand your thought process, your knowledge of what to think of in your next challenge, because you're seeing all of these different aspects that were put into place on the same data set. So I think the learning uh, becomes quite exponential by being a part of that community and kind of learning together visually. Okay. That's great. So I guess we talked about some of the mistakes. What are some positives that you see, you know, like you're really impressed when someone does something? Is growth really it's down to that growth so we have many a story within the community of people that have gone on to get jobs people that have gone on to land new careers off the back of it some of our sponsors actually look at the community for new employees so we have success stories of people transitioning from that perspective we have a group of, of volunteer ambassadors which help and support the challenge as well uh, one of our previous ambassadors was very much um, a university grad she went on to land her first role and i believe she's actually working with tableau in conjunction at the moment in some of their internal competitions and challenges you have to excuse me i don't know the naming conventions around tableau but i think like i say that really is the benefit for me and why i kind of founded the challenge when i started there wasn't anything apart from me to to look at to get into to data um so being able to enable others to do so um is really really the beautiful thing for me yeah that's awesome we'll have a link to data dna and your linkedin and Onyx's website in the description down below. Leon, it was so good having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Avery. All right. Thanks everyone who made it this far in the episode. I appreciate each and every one of you guys and listening. And thank you so much for making this number one data podcast on Spotify. Let's go take over YouTube and Apple podcast now, right? Uh, by the way, just as a reminder, check out datacareerjumpstart.com slash interview to check out the interview simulator that will help you crush the data analyst interview when you land them. It'll teach you everything you need to know on how to do really well in those interviews. So you don't need to even have a second one. Check that out at datacareerjumpster.com slash interview. Have a good week, everyone.